RCR with Paul Brennan, Reality Check Radio. All right, it's been a while since we've talked aviation, the world of aviation here at RCR. And Martin Noakes, former co-host on the New Zealand Aviation Podcast with me years ago now, we did that for seven years, joins me again from Brisbane. Hi, Martin. Good to have you back again. I hope everything's okay in Brizzy. Good day, Paul. Brisbane's pretty good at the moment, although it's been freezing there. The other day, it was like 20 degrees. It was oh. I've never been so cold. Your poor ear must have been shivering, eh? I was. It's like a sort of a, a mini ice age. Okay. I noticed, uh, speaking of Australia, I noticed that uh, Qantas has come into, well, um, a bit of criticism. I guess some people are, uh, are positive about it as well, supporting the Yes campaign with Yes livery on some of the planes. And I've seen Arvi Yemeni commenting on that. He's not too happy with it. Um, what's being said about that? Uh, Qantas making really a political statement. Yes, well, it's partly owned by the government, so that's par for the course, really, isn't it? Um, I don't think anyone's surprised. Most of the big corporates have come out in favour. Most of the big corporates have taken a fair bit of flack over it. I mean, Target had to um, change their in-store um, messaging because so many people were complaining. On the whole... I'm just judging by the, the, from, from, you know, Australians I talk to. It doesn't look good for the, for the yes vote. It looks pretty bad for the yes vote, actually. Yeah. So the association for Qantas with it might not be a, what, a a very smart thing. Yeah. Wow. How do you know? Yeah. I don't think, I mean, it'll upset a few people. Most people won't care. It's like everything else, but um, it's probably for nothing. It's an empty gesture. Yeah, um, Qantas has a bit of a history of supporting political stances, don't they? Yes, they do. They are very strong in in that type of thing. But again, they are indistinguishable from the government, essentially. So, so they will follow whatever the government messaging of the day is. I expect much like Air New Zealand in that respect. What's the story about the ghost flights into Adelaide? What's all that about? Well, Qatar Airlines wants to fly more direct flights to major Australian cities every week. At the moment, they're limited to 28 return flights to major cities. So that's the four major cities, and they they can do they can operate one return flight a day. That's 28. But there's no restriction to the number of minor cities they can fly to. So what they do is they schedule a flight to Adelaide that then connects to Melbourne, which then picks up a whole lot of passengers and flies back to Qatar via Adelaide with a short stopover in Adelaide on the way back. Ah, oh, I see. Yeah, and they used to do the same Sydney-Canberra. They, they they used to do that type of thing. So, yes, Qatar's desperate for more flights, and the Australian government has decided that it's not in the national interest for Qatar to have more daily direct flights because that would actually start eating into Qantas's cake, and nobody wants that. So okay, so they basically that's, no that's one that simple. N- no one on board, let's say to Adelaide, or very few people on board, and then the, a little short hop because well, Adelaide to Melbourne's only about forty five minutes, and then you fill up the plane, and that's like another normal flight out of Melbourne, the one that you wanted but you couldn't get under the other regime. <laughs> so the Aussies aren't going to tolerate that for very long, are they, Martin? Well, it's going to be difficult for them to stop because um, they've got this agreement. It limits it limits um, Qatar to 28 direct flights a, a week, so one day a week to the four major cities, unlimited to so-called minor cities. They'd have to go and renegotiate the whole agreement. So th- th- they're probably going to try and stop it. 
But Qatar has been applying for more slots at the you know at the major airports because the market's there for it, uh, and the Australian government or the Australian authorities are just not giving it to them. So, so I think I think it will carry on. I don't see how they can stop them without tearing up the the agreement. And why are they so keen, Qatar, to service um, even more the main centres out of Australia? They the market share must be there, or they think they can win it. Yeah, yeah, they, they they're obviously filling the seats or getting enough getting enough bums on seats. Yeah, so they want to go hard. What are they? And I'm flying, pretty sure. What are they flying sevens. into? It? What are they flying into? It? Sorry, what? Triple sevens. Oh, okay. All right. Yeah. It's I guess a canny way to do it. Mm, and it's 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 done all over the world. You know, when situations like this occur, that's that's what airlines do. Yeah, but um, the inbound leg, say to Adelaide. What all the way yeah. from what is it Abu Dhabi? Is that where they're based? Or yeah, or from Qatar. Yeah, Qatar, Qatar. Doha. That's, Doha. Sorry, that's going to be a pretty light load, isn't it? That that's a lost leader. Oh, I, 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 th- I think they get reasonable numbers into Adelaide. Yeah, oh, okay. I mean it's not a it's yeah reasonable. They get you know they're not allowed to carry anybody between Adelaide and um, Melbourne. Pretty much empty. There's a few that do it, but often it's empty. So reasonable numbers into Adelaide because Adelaide is a good place to visit. And, um, yeah, and, and they can return home out of Adelaide, so they're happy enough. It's quite complicated when you look at it. So so the flight that goes to goes Adelaide, Melbourne, there's also a flight that goes Adelaide, Auckland. Oh, okay. So I don't know who what, gets daily? on what where. Yeah, daily, it seems to daily. be a daily or at least, yeah, as far as I can tell. And, it yeah, it stops in Adelaide, goes on to Auckland. So they would be able to carry passengers between Adelaide and Auckland, though, I would imagine. I don't, well, I presume most of the people on the, uh, many of them are actually going to Auckland. Right. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's what it used to be like back in the day when British Airways flew into Auckland. They'd come, you know, through Kuwait, Bombay, Kuala Lumpur, mm. Perth, you know, Sydney, and quite a few of them were going all the way, you know. The, the flight to Auckland, the Qatar flight to Auckland took off right before the, Air New Zealand A321 going from Adelaide to Auckland, and the 777 took off in less distance. Really? <laughs> so it must have been really light. Yeah, a lot of grunt there. Yeah. Yeah. Um, this story is quite interesting from Bloomberg. Airline passengers will be forced to pay for $5 trillion carbon cleanup. Uh, I wonder if you've seen this. And they're telling mm. us the aviation sector's plans to pass along the cost of decarbonization could add hundreds of dollars to the price of some flights. This isn't going to be very well received by travelers, will it? Well, I think all that nonsense is going to be over in the not too distant future. I think people are seeing through this bullshit and, um, yeah, I wouldn't worry too much about it. it I, I, you know, we're seeing, you know, these countries backing away from their net zero policies because they, they, they understand it. It means financial ruin and I mean, we don't want to get into it here, but there's very little evidence that um, anything's really happening. Yes, but in the climate, you can't have people having freedom of travel, Martin. This is the problem. Yes, it's too free. Yes, I, it's too much freedom. Yeah, I think people have had enough of a lot of this. It's coming to an end. And and all the, in your, I, I was listening to a a podcast about the um, the Puritans, the Puritans in England. And, you know, they took over the British system, got rid of the king, 
and all this type of thing. And it looked like it was going to be in for the long haul. And what was it, 12, 15 years later, they were hanging from lampposts and England went back to the way it was, despite a significant amount of people apparently supporting them for a long time. So I think you can bamboozle people for a reasonable period of time, but after a while, it just doesn't pass the smell test. And um, so this this decarbonization nonsense it won't end due to measures like that. It'll end because something better comes along. Okay, and um, it's interesting to see that there are almost exactly 25,000 planes in the world commercial airline fleet, 25,000. That's a lot of aircraft. It is, and um, typically flying some, this is how big aviation is, 4 billion people a year, burning close to 100 billion gallons of Jet A1. How about that? Yeah. Yeah. How's that for a for a scary statistic? I see the airspace over Niger has been closed for obvious reasons. The other um, airspace that uh, is causing problems is Ukraine, and Russia's been isolated in terms of aviation. So how are they coping? Do we know? Well, they seem to be coping quite well. Um, no surprise, really. They seem to be quite capable, the Russians. Um there was some talk that the 777 pilots – I mean, if you look on, on flight radar, there's a lot of Western aircraft flying around in Russia, Russian Western aircraft, 777s, A350s. So, so they're still flying them, right? Because there was a Absolutely. debate on whether they'd be able to keep them in airborne because of no access to parts. Yes. So so there was some talk of the um, 777 pilots told to use the brakes on the 777s very um, – sparingly because they didn't have um, composite brake discs or the required um, friction material to replace the pads. That seems to have been solved by the Russians making that themselves because they are quite a capable nation. And then there's also the story came out recently that um, they've started making their own 777 main landing gear legs because apparently they have a life on them, after which you have to swap them out and send them off for inspection and refurbishment. And the Russians are still doing that. They're just making their own. Which doesn't surprise me because let's not forget that that um, Boeing had a big engineering development center in Moscow for the last twenty years. Yeah, so and they have a know, huge history. Know. They have a huge history of um, aircraft manufacturing. They have a huge history of aircraft manufacturing, and they also have a very um, strong sort of um, self reliance ethos, don't they? They they, yeah. they like to be able to do things themselves, and and they they do. Okay, yeah. so so for the foreseeable future, because the Iranians, the Iranians, were the experts in keeping old planes flying, right? In the face of parts, um, yes, boycotts, and, and things apparently, like that. apparently, the Russians are sending their A three thirties to Iran. Mahan Air has a maintenance facility in Tehran, and that's where Russia is sending their A three thirties, you know, for inspections. I would imagine the difficult thing is going to be getting um, replacement engines for a triple seven or an A three fifty, but probably not as hard as um we think. It turns out that the terribly strict sanctions which the West has imposed upon Russia seem to be quite um leaky. One of the reasons is by design. For example, aluminium doesn't appear to be on the sanctions list. So the West is still buying um raw aluminium from Russia because it's a strategic requirement. So they didn't sanction that. And there's a whole lot of other things. And people that have been in Russia, they say if you go to Zara or any of the big clothing stores that were in the shopping centers in Russia, you know, the Western clothing stores, they're still operating. They have a different name, but the gear inside being sold is all the same. There's ways around everything, it seems, especially when money is concerned. It's not going to stop anybody. 
Is Ukraine Air still flying? I haven't looked into that. Are they they still fly? There's like, never any. I mean, obviously, there's airplanes flying around Ukraine, but none of them have their transponders on. So there's no civil. If you look on flight radar, there's no. There's very very few civil aircraft flying in the Ukraine. Whereas Russia, airspace is quite busy. And and don't forget the Chinese, the Indians, and and the, all of Southeast Asia, they're pretty much flying over over Russia, no problem. I mean, India is still operating its um, India to USA flights north through Russia. Um, all the Chinese airlines are still flying over Russia. So, yeah. But no, obviously nobody's flying over the Ukraine. No. <laughs> you wouldn't want to take that risk. Look what happened to that Malaysian flight. Remember that. Exactly. Um, yeah. You've done a lot of flying in the States, and I've done quite a bit. It's been a while, though. Do you remember going on flights with dogs, you know, with passengers with dogs on their laps in the cabin? Yes, and, and last time I was in Europe, there was a woman in front of me had a dog that she did out of the little basket, and it came under the seat. It was a, it was a dachshund, and it came under her seat and came and said hello. Which I oh, that's was, nice. Uh, <laughs> I don't know if we, we, we can do that here in New Zealand or in Australia. Is that available to passengers? I don't think you can take your dog on the flight, no. Yeah, there might have been someone changed the rule that people who have companion dogs for mental health might have a pass. The reason I bring it up, there's a story here. Fox News, man shocks airline passengers as his Great Dane flies cross-country. He booked two extra seats for the Great Dane. Well, and go. it's up on Good. TikTok. You know seats. it's going to be a huge hit if it's on TikTok. Yeah, that's awesome. Good on him. Travelling from L.A. Yeah. to New York City. Well, I hope it's well house-trained. That could have gone badly wrong, especially with well, a Great Dane. Well, what do they do for, you know, I mean, the dog's got to do its business, right? Well, that's what I mean. If it's well house trained, maybe it can last the, the three hours, four hours. Six hours. I hope it was a fast flight. <laughs> anyway, the owner of the dog, yeah. the dog is called Darwin, five years old. He surprised the passengers. People were absolutely gobsmacked and shocked, but everyone was excited to see her, said the owner. They're a little more relaxed about things like that in the States, aren't they? Yes, they are. Yeah. And I think in Europe, you can take your dog, but it has to be restrained in, in like one of those little carry. So it's a very small dogs and little carry bags. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> like a little chihuahua or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think last time we talked to you mentioned Batik Air. I think, are they an Indonesian carrier? Yeah, it's the old Lion Air. Uh, Lion Air, that's it. Well, they're taking on Air New Zealand. What is it, Perth to Auckland? How do you think that'll go? Yeah, I think it'll go well if they get the price right. So, it's, yeah, they're flying Auckland... Perth, and then on to Indonesia. Yeah, it's good in a, in a 737 MAX. Okay, the MAX. All right, and let's um, finish on this story. Shotgun shell discovered on Air New Zealand Airbus between Christchurch and Auckland. They found a live shotgun cartridge in the overhead locker. Yeah, how do you well, get that through security? But how do you get it through well, security? Yeah. Well, I think we have to agree that this whole security thing is more theatre than than actual security. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, I think you can get most things through security if you try hard enough. Well, it says here in the story, <laughs> uh, yeah, uh, AVSEC has reported that in the past 12 months, 3,658 instances of the Aviation Security Service removing ammo from passengers' luggage were recorded. 3,658. Hmm. Mm. Well, there's a lot of hunters in New Zealand, eh? Yeah, well, obviously, because um, you can, you, yeah, you can still you can still fly with your weapons and everything. You you just got to announce them, and they've got to be put in the right stuff, and they go in the hold. But if right. you 
I don't know, if you've got your jacket on and there's a couple of shells in the jacket, they fall out, they don't pick them up. I mean, a shotgun shell's largely plastic. Yeah, I suppose. Or do you think yeah. it might get through the, the detector? Yeah, it might do. Yeah, it depends what it's in, you know. Well, they, they say that their people are highly specialised at assessing the images mm. and identifying restricted items. If an item is missed mm. and we can identify mm. when and by whom it was missed, that, that officer is given additional training. Oh, yeah. You can imagine what that's like, the additional training. Yes, don't get me started. Okay, I won't. All right, well, that's our quick uh, whip around the world of aviation and the stories that have been out there for the last few weeks with uh, Martin Noakes in Brisbane, former co-host of mine on the New Zealand Aviation Podcast that we did years ago. Thank you, Martin. We'll talk again sometime. Yes, speak to you later, Paul. Cheers. RCR with Paul Brennan. Reality Check Radio.